0: And welcome to the inaugural episode of The Good, the Bad and the Advertising, the show where we ask, if the world were our client, what would the brief be? Each week we'll be tackling some of the biggest challenges facing society today and consider how the advertising industry can help or indeed hinder in our quest for progress. So, the challenge we're going to be chewing over on today's episode is the growing spread of dangerous disinformation online. We're going to be talking ghost busting, myth busting, game shows, memes, and cleaning up the internet with Clorox. And as this is our first ever episode, let's start with some intros. Dino, what's your name and where'd you come from? Thank you,
1: Amy. My name is Dino Myers-Lampty, and I am the founder of my own company called The Barber Shop, which we describe as a strategically led creative company. Uh, we work across media, creative, and technology for purpose-led and purpose-seeking brands. And we work in the space of data distribution and disruptive ideas. Um, and Tim, who are you? So uh, my name's Timothy Army. i I'm the CEO of
2: Fanbytes. And what we do is basically pretty simple. Brands come to us because they want to be relevant to a young audience. So we build uh, influencer communities, content, tech, which basically helps brands to reach a younger audience on social media. So there you go.
0: And uh, I'm Amy. I'm the founder of a company called Goodloop. We work with advertisers to put their adverts across websites on the Internet. And if people choose to give a little bit of their precious time and attention and engage with that content, they unlock a donation funded by that advertiser. So we're all founders. We all work in the industry. And today we're going to be chewing over a particularly meaty challenge. We're going to be talking about the growing spread of dangerous disinformation online. And I want to start by casting your minds back to 2016. Okay, the Rio Olympics. That was lovely. Bridget Jones returned. That was lovely. Trump was elected. Brexit happened. It was a year of swings and roundabouts. And 2016 is the year that the Oxford Dictionary selected post-truth as their word of the year, defining it as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So this is not a new challenge, but it has been brought into focus recently because the context of the COVID vaccine just before Christmas, a series called Planet Lockdown claims that the coronavirus vaccine modifies your DNA and, and makes you infertile. And this content, it racked up like 20 million engagements and views across YouTube and Facebook. And that's whilst it contradicted all of their misinformation guidelines and policies. So this has real world effects, lives are at stake. And A study actually published by Imperial College London found that misinformation reduces vaccine intent by 6.2% in the UK and 6.4% in the US. So I think it's safe to say we're on team truth. And if the world came to our advertising agency with this massive challenge, the first thing we would do is define the brief. So what are you thinking?
1: Thank you, Amy. I mean, I think the first thing that we've probably got to ask is, what is misinformation? Where is it coming from? And um, who's spreading it? The reason why we consider it to be a bit of a problem, or more so a problem, is because it's the bad stuff that spreads fastest. And actually, I think in terms of the pipes in which we're using these days, so the digital world, the digital, digital ecosystem, um, things are spreading much quicker than ever before, much easier and much quicker than ever before. While we've always been surrounded, let's say, by propaganda, a little bit of fake news, people with their own agenda in the press, I think right now it's just that the algorithm that sticks people in that bubble and keeps on, you know, satisfying their needs with things that they enjoy, which uh, sometimes are not true. Do we frame this brief as we are trying to stop those
2: people from doing that? Or we're just trying to like limit the amount of people they can impact, or are we trying to basically go, people will do this. How do we supersede them with actually the truth?
0: Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good start point. It's like, do we want to deal with how this information gets to us? As Dino's talked about, you know, we can we can look at that algorithms that that create these echo chambers. We can look at the incentive structures that create clickbait, and 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 we can look at how the information gets to us and how it propagates, or we can look at like how we behave when we see it and the cultural context of learning to check, <laughs> learning to question. Like, I think that's kind of a good structure.
2: The last one is, or are we saying, like, people would do this anyway, we just have to almost, like,
0: fight their
2: lies with, like, overwhelming truth, overpower your fake news?
0: You know what, actually? The truth definitely needs an advertising agency. I feel like the truth needs a brand refresh. It's not as interesting, Dino, you mentioned. It's not, like, as emotionally charged. And that means that it doesn't often win the attention wars is
1: that the people that are spreading the fake news completely conscious that it is fake news so while we need to educate people I guess to fact check and um, you know, know how to you know uh, decipher the good from the bad there's also the thing about actually there's a lot of people just spreading news they they think is real they think is true um so so there's a question of whether you know you we need to get to the source of that news but I'm not sure we'd ever stop that from happening because there are that have got an agenda behind for promoting certain news you know, issues as, as the truth so it's about the people that spread it what tools are that are possible and available for them to fact check or to be a little bit more conscious about potentially sharing something that is uh, harmful or fake or just um, yeah could propel into disaster
0: yeah, the tools thing is interesting. I had a little look at this before the podcast. There, there are some tools. There are lots of people working on this, obviously. I mean, social social platforms have created labels. Twitter has a warning label system and then five strikes and you're out. And Facebook has announced a ban on anything that, that claims vaccines don't work, etc. My gut feeling is that the last thing we used to do is give these platforms more power and more responsibility to decide what is and isn't labelled. Uh, and then if you look at kind of other tools, there's things like NewsGuard. NewsGuard is kind of a nutritional label that you can, it's basically a browser plugin, and it gives a nutritional label on all the sites you're on. And that is trained journalists checking manually for journalistic criteria, like how they cite their sources and whether they use dates on their articles. So that, that's a super manual process, but really, really high quality. And and actually, I think that feels much more positive. The thing I don't want us to do is to put the onus on public because you know it's not the public who've created these bubbles where misinformation is is incentivized and fueled and and, and amplified through content algorithms and so putting the onus on the public is avoiding responsibility of the massive corporations that are incentivizing this stuff. That is a good debate to be had about whether it's the public have a, a responsibility or not.
1: I think that you know what we probably can't step aside from is the fact that whether the public have responsibilities to do more themselves or not, the, there is a power in social influence in terms of, you know, that kind of consciousness of, of actually I'm not going to say this aloud in public. And I think that's part of the problem with misinformation. People say a lot of things, you know, on Twitter and, and, and other platforms, that they wouldn't say to your face in public. They, it's, it's this idea of they can just create a new identity and do it again and do it again. And I think that that's probably why it's like an incubator of hate and negativity in a sense, because actually when you find the culprits, they're a lot more, uh, you know, potentially innocent and insecure than you probably imagine. But I think it comes across to everyone as some kind of big attack by some kind of big, powerful being that's got a, a big posse behind them. And, and that's when it transfers into fear. So um, there is an element of, I mean, you know, you know, if we could take, if everyone could be a little bit more uh, considered before they sent that message out, before they forwarded that thing on, just the same way that you would be if you were in a meeting or you were meeting people in a, you know, in a, in a real world you'd think before you spoke or you think before you might offend someone and i think that that's the problem with the distance and the the digital distance that we're creating while we're bringing people so much closer together there's this kind of like actual distance in 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 caring about the person on the other end so what is it
0: so the first one is changing the cultural norms around misinformation how do we like Educate people, how do we empower them to call it out when they spot it? And how do we get them to check it before they share it? That's brief one. And brief two is how do we give truth a brand uplift? How do we make truth sexy?
2: And then what are our key metrics of success? Like, what's the thing that we're trying to optimize for? Is it just more people taking a vaccine? Is it people going to do a specific thing? What are we trying to optimize for?
1: more informed people and less propaganda and misinformation out there. But but you need to be able to track that. I guess NewsGuard is probably the way to do that, isn't it? I mean, if they're kind of like, you know, I've got some kind of algorithm that's, you know, reading and assessing what's going on, there's probably a bit of a, you know, a monthly NewsGuard report that shows, you know, on the top whatever thousand sites, you know, what the balance of uh, fake news versus real news probably is. That's probably one kind of good measure. Yeah, this news NewsGuard thing is quite sick, by the way.
0: It's really cool. They do a great job.
2: For those who are listening, it's called NewsGuardTech.com. It's like the internet trust tool.
1: I read a, I read a report um, that I think NewsGuard were behind, which was a piece of research that um, uh, examined, you know, three thousand kind of sources of content. I think it was, and um, and it, it basically concluded that you know right wing news was more powerful than left wing news propaganda. Yeah. Right-wing propaganda was more powerful than left-wing propaganda. 100%. I mean, look at Trump, look at right bot, which is just another kind of sub-context behind uh, dealing
0: with this this challenge that we've got. It feels like, yeah, our success metrics are about reducing the virality and the power of fake content. I don't know how we can track it. I guess you'd need a partner. Like Dino says, you'd need to work with NewsGuard, potentially collaborate with platforms like Facebook and Twitter to actually track the instances of reporting going up. If we're looking at like part of this is about cultural shift and education, then we want the instances of reporting of fake news to go up. And we want sharing and and, um, that sort of viral loop of content acceleration to slow down. So my
1: um, kind of like addition to this kind of brief is, uh, could we focus it a little bit more in terms of, but at the moment the, the audience is the world, which is a bit of a big audience. And, uh, and I'm assuming we've got some kind of budget constraint because you always have. But um, the place that we can make the most impact is probably at the school age. Oh, really? Interesting. I'd have thought, the people
2: who share the most misinformation are the mums on Facebook.
1: Oh, I think they definitely are. But uh, I'm saying in terms of um, who can we um, get to adopt a new behaviour, probably the easiest in a sense. The people that are learning the tools and, you know, for the first time. And learning the ways for, for the for the first time, without a doubt, certainly uh, the grandmums, you know, like my mum, <laughs> for example, probably sharing an unhealthy amount of uh, fake news and misinformation. And I think the most I send more messages back to her saying, "Check your sources," than I do any other messages. Um, and I think that that is a that is a problem area, a problem and a half area. But I'm not sure she's going to change that quickly, <laughs> no matter how much truth. I, I throw in her direction. There's one way you could which is send so my grandma does the same thing and
2: if I shared with her like a Bible verse or something that that said like like <laughs> this is false said by Jesus, I think she'd probably say, Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. Now it's false. Jesustruth.com. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you wanna target it to like younger people, like school age people?
1: Well, I'm throwing it out there. I mean, you know, it's, it's up for debate, but I think it's an interesting thing because I think that we could, uh, we could throw a lot of, you know, money, attention, and time into the older audiences, like you know, like the grandparents and whatever else. And, I, and I'm not too sure they're going to change that easily and that quickly.
0: Yeah, it sort of depends if we want to go for where we can have the most impact, which is probably at those earlier stages, like you say, Dino, or where the problem is most prevalent, especially when we're thinking about the COVID vaccine. I think it's really interesting, the time that we're recording this, really interesting bridge where we've almost reached the point where everyone that urgently, desperately needs the vaccine has, and we're in a second phase of getting the mums and dads and the the 50-, 40-year-olds who have been reading lots of confusing stuff online. They're not idiots. They're they're educating themselves. They're looking at the information that's in front of them, and they're a bit bit unsure about the vaccine. So it kind of depends which one we want to focus on. You're totally right. We should pick one.
1: In, in terms of your point about the, the COVID vaccine specifically, I think that, um, you know, that is a bit of an immediate challenge where you've, you've got to, you know, go to source because I think that people don't, you know, the people that are, you know, are lined up to be getting the vaccine next almost need to be hit with a really kind of hard and fast message because it's not a thing they can spend time deliberating about for too long. If they miss their opportunity, then, then they're in the kind of the wild. So it's to middle-aged people or to younger people?
0: I mean, both need a dressing. I think we can only do one on this call.
1: so. I think we're going to do the old people.
0: Oh, poor old people. Can we call them <laughs> something a bit nicer? The elderly. The, the less <laughs> youthful. Is that nicer? I don't know.
1: Less youthful, I don't think that's, uh, yeah. I don't want to be called that what I want. Okay. <laughs> the, wise, the wiser, let's say oh, the wiser. That.
0: Okay, a bit ironic in this context.
1: So
2: the wiser people... In the UK who are spreading misinformation around the vaccine, how do you basically stop them from sharing? And then also how do you then get them to actually see the positives in doing that? What are we saying for budget? Um let's think about what we can do at the twenty five thousand pounds, two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, and then a million pounds. What can we do for three of those budgets?
1: And while while we're at the twenty five thousand pounds, we might as well say, "What will we do for nothing?
2: What will we do for free?" All right, cool. So maybe the way we can do this is at each level, we basically like because each of us have a high degree of expertise in a specific part of the marketing mix. So it may almost be like we go, "All right, Amy, you bring your um, you're taking it." Dino you know, bring your take on it, I bring my take on it. Then we just, like, mesh it up into, all right, this is how we answer oh, at this level, then at the next level, at the next level. It's um, kind of like a Dragon's Den meets solving world problems. Okay. So 25 slash free slash basically pro bono work. Um, Amy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go. Okay. um, The first brief we're going to tackle is changing those cultural norms. And so I think there's something around articulating the power that we have, the power of the share. I'm trying to think of a version of reduce, reuse, recycle that we can really bake into public conscience that says share carefully. Every time you press the share button, you're exercising power, you're exercising influence so there's something around like the language and creating a simple easy to remember version of reduce reuse recycle like share with care or something that just really illustrates and emphasizes uh, emphasizes that the other thing might be around interventions so when you see a family member share something or a friend share something that that is incorrect you know you've dug into a little bit and you know maybe that that site doesn't isn't trustworthy Changing the cultural norms around interventions so that it's not rude and it's not awkward and you actually come from a place of trust and you know, you say, Look, yep, yeah, thanks for sharing. I've actually checked it out and FYI, you know, you might want to just unshare that, untweet that. That, that base of trust that comes from, like, family networks. Tim, you've mentioned, like, everyone's on WhatsApp groups. If there was a cultural norm within WhatsApp groups to call bullshit a little bit and say, oh, yeah, thanks for sharing that, but actually, you know, I've looked into this more, that that, that comes with from a place of kindness and trust. Like, I think that would be something we could do without spending much money. It's just, a, it's just reframing the way that we approach that intervention point.
2: How would you distribute that? So, obviously in your world of like you know web adver- web ugh. of web advertising native advertising brand advertising programmatic like how would you distribute this idea
0: i wonder if you could do it through through meme culture and like the the lawyer that is a cat right everyone's seen that video everyone in this wise age bracket that we're talking about has seen the lawyer that is a cat And it might be the best thing that happened in 2021. Uh, Perhaps it's too soon to tell for sure. But the thing is that was so extreme and so funny, but it also illustrated how realistic filters are and how much you can alter the truth. Um, there's a subreddit called Not The Onion, which is basically an aggregation of news stories that are so insane. They could be Onion articles, which is a, a joke newspaper, but they're actually real. And so you, you can kind of play on this idea of fake news in a quite a fun meme culture that creates media literacy without it being education. What's the other meme
2: that came out? Was it this year where it was in like a parish or something? Yeah, Jackie Weaver. Her. <laughs> Jackie Weaver. Jackie like, Weaver. Pa- okay, cool. So basically, get a Jackie Weaver or the cat lawyer to like be the face of it or something.
0: You know what? It's almost like creating like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer for fake news. You get creds for shouting about fake news and going, I found one. Guys, I found one. Here it is. Pull it out in the light. Laugh at it. Show it for what it is, which is a joke.
1: Yeah, I like, I like the meme idea. Um, I'm stuck on the idea that you've got zero cash at all and um, and people are, are very difficult to persuade to do otherwise unless they potentially, you know, come up with their own ideas and thoughts, which, which is probably difficult in this situation. I keep thinking that use the same channels that they are consuming and getting their fake news, but infiltrate it with something of truth and something of a bit more kind of emotion and, and pull. So I like the idea of maybe um, starting a campaign with the kids. And, uh, and I'm not just talking about the kids, their kids, but I'm talking about their kids' kids. So, you know, if we're talking about the grandparent generation, you know, the, the plus kind of like 65s, let's say, or 60s, what, what they probably do uh, listen to more than anything else is actually their grandkids more than they even themselves. And they and I think they 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 love that kind of connection. They love that kind of like watching those videos. They love that you know it, it reminds them a little bit more of their kind of youth. I think, and the fact that they, you know the world is worth kind of like you know really fighting for. I guess because of you know the kids. You know the, the world is worth saving because of the kids. And that's part of the problem with the vaccine, you know, the lack of taking a vaccine. Let's say, in terms of you can spread it to others anyway. Even if you think I'm I'll, I'm invincible, or whatever else, it's actually the responsibility you have to others as well. So, um, so that kind of like connection that's probably been missed the most over the last year in terms of uh, grandchildren not being able to see their grandparents because of the distancing that's been enforced. I think that's the the key of uh, of unlocking and changing their points of views. And so maybe the grandkids become the news, and maybe we set up a you know a cheap little frame or something where kids can read the news that morning and send it to their you know their, their grandparents, and it's just nothing but the facts. So, you know, we 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 have the source, the news guard source or whatever it is, and they just eat the facts and uh, and maybe end it with a nice personal message about, you know, don't forget to take your vaccine. Dropping bombs, do
2: you know? Dropping bombs.
0: That's good. You've added this lovely layer around like getting the kids and the kids of kids. Like that's such a smart little way to like cut through. All right. Well, but a
2: social perspective, I would probably do like a game show on social. And the game show we call like Fact or Fiction, because I think about that demographic spending lots of time on TV watching game shows, right? I think about things like uh Family Fortunes and Pointless. My mom loves Pointless and Mastermind, etc. And I w- and I actually think that if um if it was almost this like recurring game show format, which could just live on social, that'd be super cheap, right? You. Could do a series of Facebook lives, and it's just like fact or fiction, where it'd be like, you know, every day or every few days, you just bring up headlines, and the audience has to guess is it fact or fiction? You bring people into the lives. So you basically have someone who is like the game show master. They bring people in and they go, hey, you know, like these three things here which one is fact, which one is fiction? You do like I don't know five ten questions you win something that goes to charity or something like that that would just get a lot of people involved then there'll be a big like PR story but I think especially with live like Instagram are really pushing live TikTok I think just literally two days ago brought out a live feature Twitter pretty much every platform is trying to do this live stream thing and I think that game show format you just need a charismatic person you could probably get like a c-list celebrity who they all know and i think that would attract a lot of people because it'd also be quite nostalgic make it fun and the whole idea is if you can you know win some like something for charity you will want to also get your friends to come and join it because you'd want at least like one of you to go on stage and win. So in some way, you are bringing in your friends, you are bringing in other people, you are doing all that stuff, making it seem much more like they are part of the narrative.
0: And it totally normalises the idea that stuff all over the internet is fake, and it, and that's okay.
1: Yeah, let's get to the last level. Bezos level.
0: What would Jeff do?
2: What would Bezos do? So, So we said... 25k should we just say the budget for that's like 100 times that to like 2.5 million or something like that but you also want to make it realistic for people listening if you're like this is what we'll do with 250 million it's all right mate um 2.5 million
0: how would our ideas change i think if you've got big money the thing that you could really change is the is the structure that proliferates fake news so Consider for a minute like the motivations behind fake news, because I think this is something that it's important to really understand if we're going to get to the crux of it. And there's kind of two layers, I think. There might be more, but I think I've kind of identified two main layers. The first layer is the small minority of people who have extreme views and who create emotionally triggering content to catch attention about an issue on an extreme side of of an argument but they are the minority the majority of fake news comes from the reverberations within the echo chamber where you know there was this piece of investigative journalism i was reading it was from 2017 but they basically found this fake news complex in macedonia and there's just like a bunch of teenagers in a warehouse in macedonia making whatever will get clicks like they just set up a website fill it with google adsense ads and then they're not trying to spread disinformation they're just trying to get clicks to their website and they get you know 150 quid worth of adsense money from really incendiary hateful headlines about how hillary clinton is this or that or whatever and um and so adsense is the is the fundamental fuel there right like people are just trying to get clicks and they don't really care what the headline is fake or not The second layer is the business models of social media platforms themselves, which take this malign incentive of the fake news complex in Macedonia and amplify it because Facebook's incentive is to get as much engagement as possible. It's an entertainment and attention economy, not an information economy. And so if I had a bigger budget, if I was Jeff, I think what I would try and do is create a distinction between those two worlds. Create a distinction between information economies and attention economies. The issue or the conversation that's happening in Australia is a really interesting manifestation of this, right? In Australia, Google have started paying for certain news sites and Facebook have opted out. And what that illustrates is Google is in the information game. When you search on Google... You trust Google because you want the best, most authoritative sources, and they rank their pages based on backlinks, based on trust, based on how reliable the source is, based on you know how quality the website is. Google are focused on information and trust because that's their product. Facebook are not interested in truth. They're interested in entertainment. So I would completely take news off Facebook. I would take all information into places where it's trusted, and I would make Facebook what it is, which is a place for entertainment. And I think that is something that requires regulation and legislation. And so probably the budget would go on like lobbying the relevant governmental parties that can help us take what's happening in Australia and and bring it to the UK.
2: Interesting. It's quite interesting the difference between when you have like significantly different budgets, how like macro the ideas go. Cool. Well, do you know.
1: I like what Amy said a lot, Um, you know, the whole kind of thing between uh, attention and uh, information and also entertainment and information as well. I think that's the the right kind of space to play. Uh, I'm going to approach it slightly differently because, you know, why not have another option? But I like that option. I look towards um, much more uh, broadcast and physical media. You know, you don't see enough at the moment, let's say, on, on, on our TV screens, on our radio stations, and... On our billboards in terms of our posters out there actually saying the truth and, and, and calling out the the fake news let's say and i think that the partially the problem is the news institutions themselves as well because of their let's say trying to come across impartial i think sometimes there's this kind of view of showing both sides even if one side is you know clearly <laughs> fake and wrong and and there's it is not enough of kind of like the critique let's say of that side um, and and it, is on, it is kind of like cautious and you know, thin ground because you do have the extremes where you have you know, countries where it's all critique and it's all biased critique and it's all critique with an agenda. So there is a definitely an, an underlying kind of thing here about, you know, while we're sitting here, assuming that all the misinformation is coming from you know, places in Macedonia, um, actually, there's a lot of it coming from our news institutions as well. And actually the ones that are not necessarily purposefully doing it, they're almost permitting it by showing both extreme sides, let's say. So I think that there's there's something to be done in that kind of environment. And actually, if you can't do it through the news channel itself, then you have to do it through advertising. But the purpose and the value of kind of advertising on that kind of broadcast platform is... It hits a lot of people quickly at the same time. It becomes that kind of, you know, that kind of conversation that evening or the next day. Um, And there's this feeling as well of when you advertise on certain platforms. So particularly uh, TV is good for it and and outdoor is good for it in terms of consumers just get that kind of like feeling of, okay, it must have gone through certain checks and balances before it got out there. And actually, they wouldn't be saying that in that platform unless it was true. So there's an element of, OK, I believe this a little bit more and it's, and it's more official. The government was the biggest advertiser of all last year. They had the largest pot of money. And I think that so much of their advertising misses the point, unfortunately. And I think that um, they probably need to use their budgets to take a bit more of an active role of educating people about what is true and what isn't and, and how to identify certain things and call certain things out. I think that they need to lead, they've got the budgets to do it. It's a it's a societal kind of issue that's changing the way people think. However, sadly at the moment, I think this kind of like division is quite good for politics because I think that it's easy to play the all or nothing card. The reality with politics is too often it's becoming a bit more binary and it's just about this or that. And I think that that kind of it's that kind of populism thing, which I think kind of works for votes because it's clear and actually while let's say the majority and the the majority of population might be thinking the same way about issues if they're divided up into lots of different little fractions that are just small little variations of the the truth let's say then that doesn't win the vote you know what wins the vote is the the one that's only 20% of people really support and believe but they've got that 20% so anyway so I think the government have a big role to play I'd use broadcast media get the message out there really impactful, really focused on the moment. And actually you could maybe make a live moment of it by taking a dominating the day, creating a real occasion of it and really rallying people to to doing something at a certain point in time and making it seem really normal and really truthful. And that's, that's what I would do. You're right. Like TV really legitimizes
2: things for people. They just instantly feel that we're a big company and all that stuff. So I think probably... I think what I'd wanna do is actually merge both like social and broadcast. So I would want to perhaps do something like build a squad online and call them the fact checkers. And the fact checkers are basically like people who look exactly like the audience. They are calling out misinformation, semi-influencers in their own right. So people who own mom's Facebook groups, authorities in that space, and if they also agree with you on this idea of the truth you can get them almost to be part of this fact checkers group you know similar to how ghostbusters and when you think about you know they're like like busting myths and doing all that stuff take them and the work they do and then actually turn it into something on broadcast something on tv when you think about last year with the nhs where it was the whole clap for our heroes like these are the faces of the people these are the people doing this i wonder if you could do something similar with this idea of like the fact checkers and like show their faces in an ad say you know these are the fact checkers this is you know mary and mary actually you know runs a facebook group of this 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 and that but actually like in her spare time, she is also like myth-busted, right? And you get them wearing like a superhero outfit and all these things. But the whole idea is that you take all the stuff they're doing on social and then you put it on TV. And in that way, you know, and then you can cut the spots, put them as like, repurpose them as um social content and stuff. The whole thing can be a very like interesting content and a very interesting creative where you take social, put it onto um, broadcast because TV does legitimize a lot of things. So if you really want them to go, yeah, I want to take action, then you want them to say, oh yeah, um, last night I saw this on telly. So that would probably be the difference in the way that I'd approach that.
0: Do you know what? I can so see some cleaning brands, like big global iconic cleaning brands, sponsoring this, cleaning up the internet with the MythBusters. Actually, when you look at some of the world's most trusted brands, brands like Clorox and Tide, they are some of the most trusted brands. They're, they're so fundamental to people's lives, and the idea of like using cleaning products on the internet—it's a—it's a way to prime the message. Yeah,
2: and you think about the fact that like this audience probably cares quite a lot about cleaning products. They know about that stuff. They care about making the houses look good and stuff like that. But yeah, that'd be the way that I'd approach this. So that's our answer to the brief.
0: Right. Okay, so we've got a few options here. We're going to use the kids and the kids of the kids, get them reading the news. That's such a lovely idea. I literally just want to see that happen. We talked about um, Factual Fiction Game Show on Facebook Live. And of course, the iconic Mythbusters. (laughs) Mythbusters. The <laughs> ghostbusters of fake news. So um okay, we've solved it. Easy. no I mean, obviously this is such a complex issue, but it feels like hopefully our listeners have had, you know, a little bit of time to chew it over to think about some of the drivers behind it and some of the ways that we as an industry might be able to to step up.
2: Exactly, exactly. But yeah, this is good. This is our first ever episode, and so there was obviously A lot of random things that we didn't think about. And I'm sure there's people listening who are like, you should have said this or do this or do that. So first one we've got out. So
0: get in touch. If you've got those ideas, get in touch. And also if you can think of a challenge that you'd like us to address in future episodes, then tweet us, connect with us on LinkedIn and um, share your ideas.
2: And also tell us how we can improve as well. There's all really good stuff. We want this to be The top 10 marketing podcast by the end of the year. That's the goal that we're setting ourselves, Amy and Dino. Top 10 marketing podcast by the end
0: of
1: the year. Just like that. He's called it.
0: (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening, everyone.